This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. I'm on the telephone with Carl Luchelswab, K9LA. And in case you're not familiar with the call sign, he is the ARRL Central Division Director. But he's also a scientist, a researcher who has spent uh, basically his entire career uh, researching propagation, solar activity, and so on. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Steve. Hope you're doing well. You too. Carl, as we approach the peak of the solar cycle, which is predicted to take place in 2025-2026, I'm starting to see, particularly online, news stories popping up where reporters are looking for an angle, a scary angle, on uh, calamities yep. <laughs> that uh, that may happen then. And in particular, they cite the Carrington event of 1859, and they're saying, uh-oh, two more years and or three more years, whatever it is, civilization itself could collapse. To start, what is the Carrington event, Carl? Okay. Uh, yeah, that is a uh, – Carrington event is a uh, very uh, remarkable solar disturbance that affected the Earth back in 1859. Uh, let's take a step back and talk about disturbances to propagation. Certainly. Uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has categorized solar disturbances into three major categories. One is geomagnetic storms, and what that is is coronal mass ejections or coronal holes, and what they do is disturb the Earth's magnetic field, which can screw up the ionosphere. Uh, the second one is solar radiation storms. That's when a big solar flare emits energetic protons, you know, relativistic protons, very high energy, very fast. And those protons funnel into the polar cap, the polar cap being the area inside the auroral oval. They funnel into the polar cap and, and cause increased uh, deregion absorption, which and it screws up over the pole paths for us ham radio operators. The third is radio blackouts, which, again, it's a big solar flare. It can emit very large amounts of X-ray radiation, which ionizes the D region on the daylight side of Earth. And uh, uh, as the name implies, radio blackouts, uh, stations go away. So what happened back in uh, 1859 was a... Uh, uh, a big solar flare and a CME, a coronal mass ejection. Uh, it so happened that Richard Carrington was uh, kind of observing the sun with his colleague, Richard Hodgson, and they saw a very bright flash on September 1st, 1859. The flash was uh, probably one of the brightest in history, and further efforts by uh, scientists nowadays have determined that Probably the flare magnitude was much greater than X10. Now, solar flares are measured in A, B, C, M, and X logarithmic uh, classes, with A being the smallest, X being the, the biggest. 
and uh, our scales only go to X10. <laughs> so the Carrington event would have uh, saturated the measurements, and we just have to make the best guess at what happened. And what happened was spectacular. I recall reading yes. about uh, auroras being visible in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, supposedly, people could read at night by the auroras in Colorado. Right. And yes. supposedly, telegraph stations had so much induced electricity that some of them burst into flame. Is that correct? That's right. And they failed. Well, of course, if it burst into flames, I guess you could figure it would fail. <laughs> But uh, some didn't burst into flame, but some failed, and that's because of the induced currents from the uh, Earth's magnetic field being disrupted, uh, coupling into the telegraph lines. And uh, we have to remember, too, that the auroras also occurred in the uh, southern hemisphere, aurora australis. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, it was seen in Queensland, Australia, which is pretty far uh, away from the uh, southern auroral it was a, a huge event, and the, the the flare was, of course, what was seen, but the CME, the coronal mass ejection that accompanied it, uh, sent all kinds of solar material uh, towards the Earth, and that's what really screwed up the Earth's magnetic field and caused uh, uh, all the problems. You know, if we would have had radio back then, uh, <laughs> there would have been solar uh, a radio blackouts, uh, the bands would have gone away, and uh, the Earth's magnetic field would have been uh, disturbed for several days, screwing up the ionosphere after the effect of the solar flare cleared. So it was pretty major. The biggest solar flare in our lifetime was uh, back on April 24th in 1984. It was, again, it, it <laughs> exceeded the scale of our instruments but they think it was greater than X-13. So uh, there's been some pretty big solar flares. And, of course, one of these days we'll have another one. So, uh, you know, hyping it is, uh, I guess, something that uh, we have to realize because nowadays if something like that happens, all our satellites and everything, uh, we're, we're going to really struggle. I'm glad you brought up the fact that there have been other flares uh, yeah. after the Carrington event. I remember the one in... Uh, 1989 also that brought down yep. uh, Quebec Hydro and their their power grid for some time. Um, I've also read that investigators looking at ice cores and tree rings mm -hmm. have determined there were massive flares. Well, for example, yep. in the year 773, I believe, or, uh, somewhere in that area, in the right in the middle of the medieval period, there was a massive flare. So these happen from time to time, correct? Oh, that's right. Yeah, and the, the sun is, uh, you know, it's it's uh, fusion, fusing hydrogen and helium. So there's lots of energy released, and, and things can happen on the sun that uh, release these big flares and the big uh, coronal mass ejections. Undoubtedly, we're going to have another one in the future that's big. Uh, we just don't know when. And, uh, you know, the warnings by the, uh, the media are good in that, I hope it makes us think of ways we can uh, uh, harden our equipment or uh, work around those uh, failures. Now, Carl, do these flares, flares of this magnitude, do they tend to happen at the peaks of the most active cycles? For example, uh, the spectacular cycle 19 in the late 1950s, or can they happen during any cycle? 
Yeah, they can happen any time. The Carrington uh, event uh, happened in uh, around the the uh, peak of cycle ten. So uh, that's when flares and CMEs are most prevalent around the peak of a solar cycle. But <laughs> they can happen any time. Uh, I, I also mentioned Carrington's colleague Richard Hodson. You know, just like the. Uh, uh, the Yagi antenna, it was really two guys, Yagi and Uda, but unfortunately Uda most of the time gets dropped and it's a Yagi antenna. And similarly, this was a Carrington event, not a Carrington Hodgson event. So <laughs> sometimes you're uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time and the other guy gets all the credit, but uh, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, I, I should mention that flares and CMEs are two different uh, mechanisms. Uh, we can have a flare without a CME. We can have a, a CME without a flare. And it just so happened that Carrington event had both uh, from the same area on the sun. And that just tells us there was a lot of energy that was pent up and the magnetic field got tangled and something had to give. And that something was a flare and a CME, which was uh, a pretty fast CME. It, it it reached Earth only in about 17 hours, which uh, whew, normally it takes uh, oh, a couple days for a CME to uh, uh, hit Earth and screw up the Earth's magnetic field and then screw up propagation. You bring up a good point, Carl, one that I wanted to raise, and that was with the solar observation spacecraft that we presently have in position, how much warning would we get if there was another massive flare? Yeah, well, we uh, flares, uh, the energy, you know, is electromagnetic energy. That's how we see it, and we don't have any warning. What that usually says is there might be a CME following, which does not travel at the speed of light. So we may have uh, a day or so, a day or two, warning that something's coming. So uh, a flare, we... we it happens, and it's at Earth already, so we can't do anything about that. But the CME, we can uh, uh, nowadays take a better look at uh, what happened on the sun with coronagraphs, which block out the, the disk of the sun so we can see if any material has been ejected around the perimeter of that occulting disk. I know that uh, some utilities have stated that they are making some preparations for this possibility. Uh, one in particular talked about uh, a system that could very rapidly take the grid offline before there could be considerable damage. I is that uh, something that would be practical, do you think? Uh, uh, Steve, I'm not real sure, but uh, it sounds like uh, that's something that is good to look at. Uh, I guess that's all I can say about that. In other words, there'd be a brief power outage rather than... right power outage yeah. that would last for days. Yeah, and I'm sure people would complain about the power outage, but uh, once they realize what could have happened, <laughs> they might be happy that hey, that the, the power company did that. Well, can I put you on the spot? What what do you <laughs> what do you think the odds really are considering how this solar cycle looks at the moment? Are we talking about significant odds of a major Carrington event type of flare like the media is saying? Or is it more nuanced than that? At best, it's a wild estimate. But <laughs> you mentioned the one that happened in, uh, I think it was 753. And 
uh, it seems that these big solar flares occur about once a millennia, uh, once every thousand years. So, uh, you know, 1859, 1959, I think we've had, uh, like I mentioned, that 1984 flare. So it may be a while before we see another big one, but don't get lulled into a false sense of security, I Well, at least some people, some companies, are taking the threat seriously and starting to make preparations. Uh, So even though the media is obviously exploiting the scare factor of this, there is Mm -hmm. a significant grain of truth behind it. Yes, there is. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating to read uh, about all the stuff we're learning about our environment. And uh, things can get interesting, I guess. As long as we're talking about the solar cycle, uh, how is the solar cycle proceeding so far? Is it panning out uh, to about what you expected? um, I'm not sure what I expected. Uh, I would hope for a big one, but it doesn't look like that. Uh, Right now, we're about halfway from solar minimum to its peak. Uh, Probably in the next 6 to 12 months, we'll have enough data to pretty much say, uh, "Eh, this is what cycle 25 is going to do. Right now, it's doing a little bit better than cycle 24, which was the last cycle. It was the cycle 24 was the smallest in our lifetimes and the fourth uh, smallest in recorded history, which goes back to the about 1750. So it doesn't look like it's going to be a really big one like uh, cycle 19, the biggest in recorded history or cycles 21, 22, which uh, were very good back in the uh, 1979 and 1989. So uh, we'll just have to take what we can with FT8 being so dominant nowadays. Uh, there, there are lots of <laughs> lots of propagation that we weren't even aware of, and uh, all it takes is those digital modes that de- can decode signals uh, farther down into the noise. And I just saw on uh, Bernie McClenny, W3UR's daily DX this morning that uh, Ned, AA7A in uh, Arizona, he's the uh, vice director of the uh, Southwestern Division. He worked uh, Israel on six meters, FT8, So uh, just, uh, I guess it was yesterday. So uh, things are looking up, and of course you have to be at the radio to take advantage of all that. Uh, but regardless of whether cycle 25 is kind of like cycle 24, in other words, a small one, I think we're going to enjoy uh, lots of good propagation and i would expect to see a a great improvement as we move into the fall and winter months here uh, coming up the higher bands i think will provide lots of opportunity for worldwide propagation for those with modest power and modest antennas a couple of weeks ago when the solar flux index uh, went over 150 10 meters burst Mm -hmm. wide open uh, for several days, uh, it was spectacular. It was uh, like the good old days on 10 meters. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay. And, and we have to remember, as, as we move up cycle 25 or any solar cycle, the, uh, there, there are going to be spikes in the solar flux and the uh, sunspot number. Uh, you know, around solar minimum, you don't see much of that. It's kind of Things are kind of flat. But as we move up, we've been seeing a lot more spikes in those two parameters. And uh, we just came out of a, uh, a big spike, and now we're kind of in a lull. 
because yesterday there were no sunspots. <laughs> That's right. But don't don't worry about that because we, that just means we're in a lull and there'll be another spike in solar flux and sunspot number. Uh, and that'll uh, continue to uh, uh, increase the ascent of uh, cycle 25 and bring us really good propagation in the fall and winter. So we can look forward to exciting times ahead, and I mean exciting in a good way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, The uh, uh, especially, you know, technicians who have uh, sideband privileges on 10, they're going to have lots of fun. And I know the ARRL proposal for technician enhancement uh, once that clears the FCC, that's going to open up uh, some uh, 15 meters to them, uh, higher bands, and uh, techs are going to have a great time, and th- that's going to certainly swell the number of operators on the higher band. Well, let's just hope that we don't run into a Carrington event in a couple of years, and everything right. will be everything will be fine. Everything will be fine, yeah. I've got my old tube radio, so it's okay if anything happens to my solid-state stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Carl. I appreciate it. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.